Hi, this is Alana. And this is Rebecca. And this is, wait, how do you spell that? A rare disease podcast produced by Patient Worthy. Today we will be talking about PKU, which is what is the short term for, actually, you know, the, like this whole podcast is like a joke of like, how do you spell that? But just right now, I'm like, I've only ever called it PKU. I've never actually pronounced the full name <laughs> out loud. I was, I'm looking at it right now. And my approximation of it is phenylketonuria. Phenylketonuria? Phen- I'm probably mispronouncing it, um, which I understand. And I'm actually going to look it up and add this to the show before it goes live because I do think pronunciation is important. And I just have only ever called it PKU in conversation. I've written it out, but I just saw it as a lot of syllables. <laughs> I think most people just refer to it as PKU. Yeah. Anyway, today we'll be talking about um, an experience from a few years ago. PKU, to back up, is a rare disease um, that's caused by a mutation that's genetic, so people have it from birth. Hopefully they're diagnosed as infants in newborn screening, and people with PKU uh, can't process an amino acid called phenylalanine. (laughs) No, no, it's not called that. It's called PHE, is what we'll call it. It has a full spelling. I'll also look that up. I think it's phe. I think it's phenyl. Phe? Phe? Phenyl. We're doing great. Yeah, I know. I I feel like we are what our title is making fun of. I am. (laughs) (laughs) Could you say it again? I think it's phe. I think it's phenylalanine. Okay, I'm just like, anytime I'm speaking, I'm just going to edit it so that you're saying phenylalanine over (laughs) my It will like suddenly switch to Rebecca's voice. But since they can't process phenylalanine, which is an amino acid that's common in a lot of food protein, if they are not under treatment, the phe will build up in their system, which causes serious health problems. Um, The symptoms include but aren't limited to seizures, developmental delays, decreased bone strength, microcephaly, skin rashes, odors, and heart defects. It can't be cured as of now, but it can be managed, especially if it's caught early on. And while there is some treatment, like there are some medicines that help a person tolerate a slightly Mm -hmm. higher amount of fee in their system, one of the main things that people have to do is eat a diet that has extremely little fee in it, which is really hard because fee is in basically all forms of protein. And it's also in aspartame, like Diet Coke and stuff. So there is this little... Uh, warning on Diet Coke that's like contains phenylalanine and uh, so if you're wondering why it's there um, it has a little bit to do with PKU because uh, patients are eating a low protein diet most of the time and a lot of this includes sort of some replacement foods so it will be like bread that has less protein than regular bread does Mm -hmm. they still actually need to have the rest of protein like everybody needs to have protein to have like their body repair itself and grow muscles so most people with pku will take a formula that contains the rest of the amino acids but not fee specifically so yeah that is kind of the backstory to what pku Mm -hmm. is on the adhering to the diet is something that similarly to other metabolic conditions it's crucial because if you don't they can cause damage that then is irreversible it's not that if you go back to the diet then you go back to to how you were and you're fine it can cause long-term 
issues. It's hard to adhere to. Um, people, some people find it easier, like, and some people find it harder. I guess depending on like a lot of factors that have to do with your life, but. It's isolating to have a condition that means that you can't eat the same things that other people eat. And, like, you have to bring something else with you or, like, not eat at the birthday party or the wedding. And also a lot of the food that people have to drink, like, a lot of people don't like the taste of the formulas that they have to drink. And, you know, it's it's difficult. We also um, hire partners with the HCU Foundation, which is a fairly similar I condition. I can pronounce that one. Homocystinuria. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and um, which is a, is a similar condition and something we've found as a difficult component for, for both communities and other similar communities is, is that when it comes to food, there is such a social aspect of going out to eat with friends as being a, a big social activity and then having such a restrictive diet dictating where you can go out to eat or if you have to bring your own food and that can be really difficult, which is something Alana learned personally. <laughs> yes. So this episode is actually uh, backing up to June 28th, 2018. Actually, I think I did the challenge on June 27th so I could publish it the next day. National Society for PKU, NSPKU, was holding a PKU diet challenge. So it was like a PKU diet for a day. And the challenge is specifically aimed at members of parliament in the UK so not me, um, <laughs> um, but anybody was invited to try it out in solidarity with the PKU community. I don't have PKU, but I did want to understand better what it might be like to have PKU. And obviously I can't replicate the experience that it's complicated and goes vastly beyond diet and vastly beyond a 24 hour experience. But I just thought it might give me a little bit of insight. I actually had been kind of worried because I was like, I don't want to come across like, I think metabolic disorders are fun and a game. But um, I guess because it came from a PKU organization, National Society for PKU, like there was an invitation to do it, which I think made me slightly more comfortable with the idea. The rules uh, were posted online. But essentially, the goal was to eat under 10 grams of protein a day following a traffic-like system resource from NSPKU. And meat, soy, and other classic high-protein foods were red light, since you really can't incorporate them into a PKU diet. Um, the amber list was full of foods that can be eaten, but only a little bit, and you kind of have to like weigh them, like potato and corn on the cob and breakfast cereal. And kale, um, which I think is sort of part of... What might be misunderstood about the PKU diet is saying, like, no protein doesn't mean, like, no steak. I mean, it does mean no steak, but it also means, like, weigh your French fries. Like, yeah. I, think, I don't think people think of potatoes as being a protein food. That's something I actually realized um, attending one of the HCU conferences. I was so surprised how much protein is in things that I don't think of as having protein, mm -hmm. like tortillas or pasta yeah. or muffins they had low protein versions that I didn't realize for foods that I didn't realize it was would be necessary for yeah the green light food included um, most fruits some vegetables avocados sweet potatoes um, most oils and fats jams coffee and a few other things challenge participants weren't going to go through blood tests that PKU patients do or consume the protein supplements but they were expected to weigh food on a digital scale that can measure food down to the gram. The truth is, I don't own a digital scale, so I tried to be as exact as I could be by measuring 
cups and counting out, um, you know, exact portions of tortilla chips, but it wasn't perfect. This is something that I can do because I don't have PKU, so that leniency is available to me, but it wouldn't be available if I really had the disease. I also modified the protein supplement rule. PKU, protein substitutes, and prescription foods weren't part of the rule, but I didn't want to risk taking an actual whole toll on my health, which I know is a little... Like, it was, it would just have been a day, but I do already eat a diet where it's hard for me to get enough protein. So I just kind of didn't want to actually throw anything in my body off. So I decided I just drink a protein drink. I hate protein drinks, so I thought that was accurate in a sense. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, I would just get all my protein in one serving, as you would if you had PKU. I also want to say up front that, um, spoiler, I didn't actually make it under 10 grams. And the irony of this whole challenge is that that's actually a pretty generous protein allowance for someone with PKU. There's a lot of people with it who only eat a fraction of that. And I ate the lowest protein diet I actually knew how to, but I still passed the limit. Though I didn't set out to fail, I do think that my failure is an important thing to keep in mind when we're learning about PKU for the part of our audience who doesn't have PKU. Um, that like even if you're really focusing your day on like obtaining this challenge, you still might come short of it. I also want to address something that is kind of embarrassing for me. I feel like anybody with PKU who's listening to this right now is like hard eye rolling. Um, but, um, initially I like, I follow some PKU accounts from, uh, patient worthy Twitter, follow us. Um, and I would always see them post foods of like mushrooms and like sweet potatoes. And, um, I was like, that looks kind of good. I have been vegetarian since I was a kid. I was vegan for three years in college. I already feel like I struggle to get enough protein. And so I was like, if the goal is to not get protein, I would be great at that. (laughs) That's kind of like the default way I eat. Like I have to go out of my way to get protein. And I kind of knew like that it was an entirely different thing, but I don't think I've really understood the extent to which it was different. You know, I didn't have a scale to measure my food. I never had to measure food. I just had to avoid animal products. And also a huge difference is that I was doing it entirely voluntarily. If I ate an animal product by mistake, uh, At worst, it might be hard to digest. Um, I wasn't going to get permanent neurological damage from it. But at the same time, I felt like I had something in common because I was like, I'm so used to reading labels and eating weird alternative cheeses that like everyone's like, oh, is that gross? And you're like, no, it tastes fine. (laughs) Um, And like bringing my own butter to Panera and stuff like that. And I was used to scanning menus and realizing I couldn't eat anything at a restaurant and just feeling a little isolated and like, my diet was kind of burdening people around me. But I do just want to make this note to anyone who's listening who's like vegan but doesn't have PKU. They're super, super different. (laughs) (laughs) When I was vegan, I ate lots of peanut butter. I ate Chipotle bowls. I ate Oreos. I never thought about hunger. I never thought about measuring um, my potatoes. And I never worried about developing serious health problems. So backing up to the day before the challenge, I went to the grocery store. But for some reason, I made the choice to go to Aldi, which is, if I could redo this challenge, not the grocery store I would pick. Um, I love Aldi, but it does have a really limited selection um, because it's a discount grocery store. 
so it has fewer items and there's less to choose from and it really does cater to people in the center of the bell curve who have the most typical diets. People with PKU probably already know this, that not every grocery store is equally equipped with the food that they need. I knew from the traffic light system that I would eat a lot of sweet potatoes and avocados and that would be like the central part of my diet. Uh, since they both contain a fair amount of sustenance for a green light item, um, I also wanted a snack and I spent a lot of time in the cracker and chip section looking for the lowest protein item and then sometimes I would see that uh, one option had protein one gram and I'd be like oh this is great because the other one had protein two grams so this is like half the protein and I can eat twice as much of it but then I would look at the calories and it would be like one gram of protein for 70 calories per servings versus two grams of protein for 140 calories per serving so they were like the same and I was just doing all this math in the grocery store and spending forever in each aisle. Basically, to sum up how I felt while I was grocery shopping, I felt like, yes, I can find food with low protein, but they're also low calorie. And if I want to have enough energy for walking and working and exercising, I would have to eat a bunch of servings of each item and suddenly it wasn't a low protein food anymore. And I thought about uh, the scene in a Cinderella story. I don't know if you've seen a Cinderella story. I feel like I, you have. Rebecca I so. nodded. I think a, lot, a long time ago. I feel like I never know which parts of the cultural canon we share. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's like the mean girl with, um, like Hilary Duff is the waitress and oh, there's yeah. a mean girl who comes into the diner and she's like, uh, what can I get here Who has, that has no sugar, no carbs and is fat free and Hilary Duff is like, water. And um, at the time, you're supposed to side with Hillary Duff. But when I was in the grocery store, I was like, I get it. Like, I understand <laughs> what it's like to be mean Shelby. Um, like, it's very hard to find everything that follows every rule that I'm looking for with a food. On the actual day of the challenge, I, um, I started with a huge breakfast because I love breakfast. Um, <laughs> most of what I eat is at breakfast. Um, and I also, like, I don't eat, like, just, like, talking about my regular life. I don't eat, like, cereal and stuff. Like, I will eat, like, spaghetti for breakfast. It's, like, my dinner of the day. <laughs> um, uh, so I started with my huge meal, and uh, I began with a honey crisp apple um, while I cooked, mm -hmm. and then I ate an entire sweet potato. Um, it's on the green list, but then I looked it up and it said that a whole sweet potato contained two grams of protein, but maybe it's low in fee. I kept on getting confused when I was trying to figure out how many exchanges it was. And I cooked it with garlic and salt, three mushrooms, um, pico de gallo, the smaller half of an avocado, and a little sriracha. I also had seven tortilla chips, which added two more grams of protein. Um, you know, breakfast was pretty good. I liked it. Um... And it was a lot like something I normally eat. Besides the tortilla chips, everything was on the green list. But when I plugged it into my fitness app on my phone, um, it was already six grams of protein. And again, I actually later on talked to people from uh, PKU groups who said that not all of these things counted exactly as they did on my fitness app or my fitness pal app. But this is what I was using at the time. For lunch, I had uh, some dreams of cooking up like rice vermicelli noodles which are naturally low protein, but um, when lunch actually happened, I was just really busy and I didn't really have time or energy to do that. So I ate Ritz crackers with avocado and Kim Kim hot sauce on it. Oh, and a tomato. Um, <laughs> uh, 
uh, it was kind of a sad, lazy version of what I eaten that morning, plus five baby carrots. Um, I thought I was doing pretty well, but then, because I'd eaten almost only green light items, but then when I put it into my phone, it was already 10 grams, which is my limit for the day. So I was in trouble. Um, you know, sort of comparing it to calories that you need in a day. You know, 2,000 calories a day is what people typically say. You're really not supposed to go under 1,200 calories a day. Like, if you're trying to lose weight, that's, like, the lowest that you're supposed to do. And I just reached my protein threshold, and I had only eaten 760 calories. And, I don't know, I just was like, I'm going to get cranky unless I eat something more soon. I drank my vanilla protein shake. I felt like it wasn't actually as bad as I thought it was. And I was like, wow, this isn't, this isn't a really accurate representative of what people oh, drinking. The <laughs> yeah. The medical formulas are supposed to be like pretty bad. No offense to people who make, make them. <laughs> um, uh, also, another thing that's like kind of gross. Uh, Go for it. Okay. <laughs> um, another thing is that all I'd eaten was sweet potatoes and avocados and vegetables, and that's a lot of fiber. Um, <laughs> like, too much fiber. Um, and I was, you know, I was just kind of sitting there working, and I was like, ugh, like, I need a Tums to deal with PKU. And then I'm like, are Tums PKU friendly? I'm not sure. At dinner, I was really hungry, but I couldn't actually afford any more protein. I mean, at this point, I knew I was going to have to break it a little bit. I couldn't find low-protein pasta at the natural food store because I thought that I was like, oh, if I go to the fancy, like, it's not Whole Foods, but it's kind of Whole Foods-esque. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a place that might have low-protein pasta. But actually, everything, it's like, everything is the opposite of what you're looking for. Yeah. They're like, high-protein pasta, like, high-protein water. Like, you know, it's like everyone's trying to add protein to everything. But I was looking for the opposite of that. I had uh, butternut squash noodles, um, which counts as a free food, uh, with tomato sauce and two sautéed mushrooms. My total for the day was 11.5 grams of protein, plus the protein shake because I cheated. Although uh, most of the sources I ate were on the lower fee end of protein scale, so... Maybe if I was better at calculating it, it could have been a little less than that. And also, I was trying to calculate it, but it was like, I spent like 25 minutes doing it, but I was so hungry and cranky and just like (laughs) undernourished that I just like did not have the mental capacity to do that right then. Also, I know that I'm whining and everyone with PKU is like, you know nothing, (laughs) which is true. The big takeaway was that the PKU diet is a lot harder than most people understand and definitely harder than I understood. I could have prepared better for the challenge by speaking with a dietitian or ordering low-protein alternatives online, but I also think there's something to be said for learning that eating under 10 grams of protein with only access to an Aldi is really, really hard. Some PKU patients also have difficulty accessing specialized foods and formulas, and that's like a serious problem when you take into account all of the symptoms that they risk if they can't comply to their diet. It's also hard to comply to. I went to bed feeling hungry, which is fine because I just woke up the next day and ate exactly the way I always have. But if you're a PKU patient, you never get time off. Like You don't get a vacation day. It's not a diet with a a once-a-week cheat day. It's just every day, forever, you just keep doing this. Mm -hmm. Um, 
some PKU patients speak about hunger and lack of energy as a problem. I've also spoken to others who have had an easier time managing it, but it varies throughout different patients. A lot of people with PKU also just want different types of food, as we all do. I've said a lot of times that I don't like protein shakes, but a lot of people with PKU and a lot of kids with PKU struggle to drink bitter protein drinks and their parents struggle to get them to drink it. And it's also a diet that involves a lot of synthetic food that can take a toll on your gut health as well. It's also isolating. I work from home, so I actually have a lot of freedom when it comes to preparing all three meals in my own house on my own time. But if I'd been meeting with friends or traveling or going out to eat, it would have taken a lot more work to eat safely. There are just so many ways that the disorder is tough, but if you have been listening to all of this, you probably already know that. I also think it's worth noting that the diet is both harder and easier than what I experienced. Uh, people with PKU are pros at this in a way that I'm like obviously not. They follow PKU blogs, um, or some of them do. Um, I can't assume that everyone with PKU follows blogs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if you're on a special diet, you learn tricks and like you learn how to make treats that comply with it. I know when I was vegan, I was like an expert on what had protein in it, what was secretly like not ha- like didn't have an animal product in it, but you would think that it would. And um, you get really good at that kind of thing. There are companies that offer, you know. Medical foods. Yeah, yeah, and like cake mixes that don't have protein in it, but actually still taste good. But at the same time, even though there are those things that would make it easier, there's also these much bigger things that make it a lot harder. And especially, you know, we've, we actually have an article on Patient Worthy about this in the U.S. A lot of uh, PKU students have anxiety about their medical foods being taken away or um, their formulas being taken away. Um, And then I've also heard from patients in the UK who struggle with problems getting their NHS prescriptions. Mm -hmm. Um, Like maybe they're not getting them in a timely manner. And then in that time, what do you do? Like just drink olive oil for calories? Like what, how do you eat? So even though this article was sort of this like, oh, like let's try the PKU diet. It actually really woke me up to sort of like how hard it is to exist if you don't have access to like this very limited groups of food that you can eat. And I think that when people don't understand it, it becomes easier to not object to these like policies that are harming people with PKU or like this pharmaceutical practices that um, are really endangering people. But because people are like, oh, low protein diet, just don't eat some meat for a few days. Like there isn't an awareness of how difficult that is. Um, I actually, I've pulled up the the article um, from our coworker Kathy. Um, I don't know. Will, will we get sued if we say it? <laughs> <laughs> so it, it essentially, I, I think we can, we can just say that that uh, some patients are really having trouble with uh, getting their medical foods and formulas covered after um, they reach adulthood because it was for some insurance companies categorized as sort of a childhood disease, when of course, if it's genetic, yeah, it's not, you're not going away. you like, going to get a new mutation at 22 that's like, now you can process fee. Yeah. Like, it, 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 there is a lack of... I find it hard to follow the train of thought that would lead you to the conclusion mm-hmm. that someone would suddenly be able to process fee at 22. Yeah, and well, what's, what's interesting, or what's... 
uh, unfortunately kind of common, I think, in the rare disease community is this lack of understanding on behalf of, of insurance companies because it's it's conditions that some physicians haven't heard of. And yeah. the insurance company, the people processing the claims aren't going to know. But, yeah, yeah. Like, it, this is you really wouldn't... <laughs> Like, if you don't have an idea of what low protein really means. Um, I mean, low protein can mean a range of things, and I think that's the problem. Yeah. Um, low protein could just mean the alternative to adding whey. And that's something I, I saw a little bit reflected um, in a kind of opposite but still adjacent way in the, the Glute 1 Deficiency uh, Center Foundation mm-hmm. uh, conference. They were, for those patients, they a very strict uh, medical ketogenic diet um, is really the most effective treatment for, for them. Um, and so they really benefited from this insurgence of, um, like the trend of the ketogenic diet, that there's all of these food and products that are high protein and keto friendly, Mm -hmm. but they're also finding that a lot don't actually adhere to the medical standards that these patients need. It's more... My dad recently told me he was on keto and that he wasn't going to drink beer anymore. And then I was like, you know, it was like, not that, not that keto, this isn't a value judgment on keto, but sort of more of like wanting to know a little bit more about his decision making and if he was working with a doctor or just sort of like what research yeah. he'd done to make sure that he was doing keto safely. And you, my mom just sort of interrupted and she was like, he doesn't know what keto means. He's just not drinking beer now. <laughs> like, yeah. it's like people like ha- will say that they're on keto and mean it so loosely. Like, it's just... There's a lot of diet trends that aren't necessarily based in what the kind of dietary restrictions yeah. that the medical community is, is working with. And I think that you made a good point that most of what you see is boosted protein. I don't think that there's been much of a presence of people in the general public looking for low protein items. Like yeah. it's typically medical food. Or- uh-huh. Yeah. No, there's not a lot of stuff that is boasting that on their label. And a lot of stuff sort of was harder to find because people want. High protein. Yeah. yeah. So it's like what they're selling. Um, anyway, so that's kind of wrapping that up. I want something fun to end this. Well, I just want to say, I think it something else that was, you, you were kind of lamenting that you didn't get to make this lunch that you had planned out. Mm. But I think that's so realistic. People have their whole yeah. lives going on while yeah. they're living every day <laughs> and they're busy. And so to not have many sort of quick convenience food items that are within their diet is got to be really tough. That was a funny detail because this, um, you know, this was originally posted as an article um, that really went pretty close to the same uh, arc as the podcast did. Um, and the the Ritz cracker lunch was something that kind of like these polarizing responses <laughs> where some people would be like, you don't have to eat Ritz cracker lunch. Like, you can cook things. Um, like, just learn how to cook. And I was like, okay. Um, and then, <laughs> like, fair. Like, I know this is not this is not a representation of what lunch has to look like if you have PKU. But then I had another group of responses that were like, yes, Ritz cracker lunch. <laughs> like, all I eat is Ritz cracker lunches. And I'm like, okay, two types of people. This is like a personality test. Um, and I definitely fall on the Ritz cracker lunch side of it. <laughs> I think that this is probably something that does have a common thread, If you, even if it's kind of the opposite 
type mm-hmm. of diet that a lot of people have dietary restrictions and no matter what they're they're going to be difficult especially like you said if you're trying to go out with your friends if you're traveling um if you have to pick a restaurant and how different a medical dietary restriction is from a non-medical one yeah like right now i'm just vegetarian in the past i was vegan actually i should rephrase that and say it was plant-based because i think to be vegan like you have to be a little bit stricter than i was but I could definitely sort of be like, I'm just not going to read the label of this um, because I'm afraid of finding something out that yeah. I don't want to read. Um, and, like, you know, there would be certain situations where I would kind of choose to overlook something. And all that would affect was the weight of my conscience. <laughs> <laughs> and this vague sense that I was, like, kind of lying to people if I didn't ask if, like, the buns at dinner had butter on them when they were cooked um yeah uh but like steaks (laughs) yeah like when it's a medical diet it's like just so fundamentally different than that yeah and I think there's misconceptions too if you're out with people that you don't know as well and you maybe don't want to once again share your whole personal story and get into it yeah you just say well I don't or I can't eat this I think there's a lot of misconceptions because there are so many diets that are just kind of trendy um, similarly to, to the, like the celiac community not being able to eat gluten versus people who are just decide to go gluten free to try it out. Yeah, yeah. And sort of being met with like maybe skepticism or judgment of like. Oh, I you actually, can do it. Um, I'm thinking about this girl. Um, <laughs> she actually has a story on our site, but um, she had HCU, which isn't PKU, but it's pretty similar. Um, and what she would always say was that uh, she had an allergy, and when she got older, she learned to um explain it and what it was and how it worked to people but when she was a kid she'd just be like nope allergic to that allergic to that allergic to that (laughs) um because that was something that people would actually listen to Mm. that's yeah Yeah. sort of describe the appropriate weight to that yeah yeah (laughs) anyway um let us know if you've had experiences um with whatever your dietary restrictions are and being met with either difficulty finding food that um, adheres to your diet or if you've gotten negative reactions or if you have something really fun that you want to share with other people yeah uh, with PKU like if you're like everyone with PKU has to know about jackfruit (laughs) (laughs) uh we'll we'll share it on the next episode anyway we are gonna wrap this up now oh another thing let us know if we say anything incorrect or something that you have an objection to um, that's something I kind of wish we mentioned on last episode, but um, we cover a lot of different rare disease states, and as we said on the last episode, and should actually preface every episode with, we're not medical professionals. Um, right. We work at a rare disease media site, but we're not doctors, and we're also covering a lot of rare diseases. Um, you know, there's like 7,000 plus known ones, and so if you know something that we haven't heard about, just reach out to us. Um, our emails are on our website there's contribute at patientworthy.com and we'll add it to the next episode and try to edit any existing ones right we are always receptive to commentary and critique and um we rely on really the don't make fun of our voices though we can't help we can't can't change just how we sound no we mean but, but in terms of of facts um the experience of living with conditions we know that we might, we, we try our best, but if we get something wrong or things have changed since we last read about it, 
please feel free to reach out and we will do our best to rectify the situation and correct ourselves moving forward. Um, we're happy to, to make edits and keep trying to improve. Yeah. Anyway, you can find us on Instagram at patientworthy, on Twitter at patientworthy, on Facebook at patientworthy, <laughs> on LinkedIn at patientworthy, <laughs> and on patientworthy.com. See you next time. Bye. Also, just a post-show note, we did look up how to pronounce PKU, which is phenylketonuria. Um, there's a little animation that is actually surprisingly intricate. It's from Biomarin, which I also hope I'm pronouncing right. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it starts with fennel, like the, uh, the food that kind of looks like an onion, and then there's a key unlocking a chest. It's like this very intricate animation Then there's an animated bunny, and he's wearing sunglasses, and the sunglasses fall off of him. And then a ton weight, like a one-ton weight, uh, falls and crushes his sunglasses. Next is the word your, then an E, like the letter, and then a mouth saying, ah, and that's how you pronounce. Phenylketonuria. Phenylketonuria. We also looked up how to say fee in the long form. Uh, this one did not have an intricate animation going along with it, but instead was in a YouTube video from Emma saying. And she presented both phenylalanine. No. <laughs> Phen- I'll just play it. I'll play her saying it. Actually, maybe that's not allowed. Okay. Phenylalanine or phenylalanine. Can you say it? Phenylalanine? Phenylalanine. I just want to say phenylalanine. Like I want the third thing to be an L. Yeah. Um, all right. That's how you pronounce it. <laughs>